I'll keep this brief because I always think it's amazing when people are still here this late in an evening um, after a long day. So uh, I will do my best to get through this and to um, really present to you the case for why I think that the poor need to have access to insurance. Before I do, though, I think I um, just want to spend just literally one slide just telling a little bit about the company that I, I set up and run. We started working in 2002. I was working in the city as a reinsurance broker. I wanted to do something different. I had absolutely no idea how to get into the not-for-profit world. I was convinced that profit was a good thing and that was, um, was going to be um, very important in trying to help address issues of poverty. I'd lived in, in the developing world for the majority of my life. I'd lived in 16 countries by that point, and um, I'd spent most of my childhood living in Africa. We established uh, Microinsure in 2006, and really uh, between 2006 and 2008, uh, we were just really selling it to investors. Uh, the Gates Foundation bit on our hook um, in 2007, and we started trading really seriously in 2008. So between 2008 and the end of 2010, we grew from pretty much nowhere to 2 million people. And uh, we currently serve 2 million people with a, with a range of uh, life, health, and weather index products. So much so that um, actually a number of uh, insurance companies and some of the big insurance brokers are in discussion about investing in the business uh, on a for-profit basis, I, I may add. The central challenge, I guess, was that when I look back uh, in 2001, 2002, I looked at these statistics and I thought, why, why is it that the poor don't buy insurance? I mean, if you look at the, uh, the kind of developed world, uh, we spend about 8% of our GDP on insurance premiums. In fact, in America, further 16% is spent on health insurance. Yet, if you go to places like Afri in Africa and Asia, typically 2%, 1% of GDP. And that translates to a difference between everyone in this room spending kind of $3,500 or whatever, you know, uh, 3,000 pounds on, on insurance in terms of car insurance and household insurance and life insurance. And in Africa, people spending like $90. I was recently sat in, um, in, in a meeting with the um, CEO of Asha. Asha is a big microfinance organization. They have f about 5 million borrowers, 27,000 staff, and he didn't have a single insurance policy. <laughs> this is a guy who's running a really big bank. And so if he as a CEO doesn't have an insurance policy, why would any of his clients? And it left me with this question. Is it an issue of supply or is it an issue of demand? And back in 2001, I made a very silly mistake. I took a week uh, holiday and I went down to Zambia where I'd spent much of my childhood. And I found myself sitting under a tree with this uh, lady. And she, she got a bit frustrated with me. And in, in Chichewa, which I speak badly, but I do speak some Chichewa, she was trying to explain to me that most of what goes on in the development world is like ladders. So people are trying to help her out of poverty. But she was asking me, where are you guys when disaster strikes? Where are you when the floods come? Where are you when someone in my family dies and I have to pay three months of my, of my salary for a funeral? Where are you when I need to go to the doctor? And I suddenly realized that insurance is, for us, something we take for granted. For, for this lady, it was a safety net. It was something that moved up underneath her. As she grew out of poverty, then this safety net could come up underneath her, and so these disasters wouldn't bring her back down into poverty. So the poor actually face huge risk, and they want to mitigate that risk as cheaply as possible. Price is important, but actually they are concerned by the options that they have, which generally are informal and, as a result, quite insecure. 
Interestingly, the insurance companies over the last nine years that I've been doing this have become more and more interested. And today, Swiss Re, Munich Re, Allianz, Zurich, some of the biggest insurance companies in the world are actually some of the leading organizations now in providing insurance for the poor. It wasn't so nine years ago, but they certainly have become interested. And it's quite I mean, to be honest with you, quite obvious why that is. Swiss Re uh, issued a report about three weeks back saying that there's four billion people on earth who don't have access to insurance who are in the low and middle income markets. Only 2% of that market is currently being served. So this is a massive market which currently isn't being served in any way. Our model uh, at MicroInsure was very simple. We sat down with the Gates Foundation and said, look, if you want to do insurance for the poor, then there are three distinct roles that need to be performed. Firstly, someone has to carry the risk. Secondly, someone has to be the front office. Someone has to sell these products to the poor. And thirdly, someone has to do the back office. It doesn't have to be three different organizations, but in our view, it made most sense to be that way. And so the risk carriers were insurance companies and reinsurance companies, but also we started to establish sell captives. So these are just special vehicles that uh, we use commercial money um, from insurance companies to carry risk. In fact, we, we have a sell captive where the insurance company has given us their money and, it, and allows us to go and underwrite the risk on their behalf. And if, they make a, if we make a loss, then it's their problem. If we make a profit, then they share that with us 50-50. Front office. We needed an organization that could be trusted, so brand was important. We needed points of sale in the right location, and we needed this entity to be able to transact cash. We started off with microfinance organizations. Uh, we worked with about 63 microfinance organizations, but we found them to be pretty difficult organizations to work with. So we started working with mobile phone companies. Uh, mobile phone companies are the most rapid growing uh, form of distribution for us, typically growing at kind of several thousand percent a month. And they're serving probably the most uh, of all retail organizations in Africa and Asia, the largest percentage of the low-income market. We also um, started trying to work out what other organizations tick these boxes. And the, the biggest brand in most of the developing world is Coke. So we went to Coca-Cola and said, could we start selling Coke insurance? And the guy laughed so hard, he fell off his chair. Um, so we said, okay, what's the next biggest brand? And actually, the next biggest brand that we could get into was the church. There's 40 million people in Africa who go to church every Sunday. They trust the church. They don't trust insurance companies. They don't trust banks. They do trust the church. And very interestingly, we started selling insurance through the church. And, you know, it really struck us 60% of our clients are Christian. The rest are Hindus and Muslims. So it's not just Christians that buy from the church. It's other faiths as well. So you have to find uh, organizations that have this brand, points of sale in the right location, what have you. Microinsurer is a back office specialist. Um, what we do is we design products and processes, we provide training. We use a lot of comic books for our clients because they don't understand insurance. You know, they say, okay, so I paid my money, no one died, can I have my money back, please? It's a pretty good question. But, you know, that's not the basis of insurance. And then uh, we also have to get involved in, in kind of collecting client information. We do most of this over, over mobile phones. And we have to be able to administrate claims. And we have to be able to do this with very, very low margins. So my margin is 23 cents. I, every policy I sell, I earn top line 23 cents per policy and you have to be able to run a business on that and it's, it's very very challenging to be able to do that. So I'm just going to run you through some of the kind of products that we sell. Uh, we sell life insurance, that's where we started. We actually started as a, as a specialist organization providing life insurance to people living with HIV AIDS. Here's some of our clients, these are actually the children of some of our clients. Satu who um, actually became quite a good friend of mine. She was 57 years old she um, was one of our first clients, actually. She took 15 loans from a microfinance organization over a number of years. 
Um, the last loan she took was for $177. She ran a Sari Sari store. She was selling small items beside the road. Uh, she woke up one morning. She had sore tooth. She went to the dentist. She couldn't afford the $5 to take a tooth out, so she went home. She got some toenail clippers, and she did it herself. Three days later, she died of tetanus, and our life insurance contract was able to pay out $2,000. And I think the impact of this for me is that the two younger kids are still in school, the two older kids, the lady and the gent there, the guy bought a cow, started plowing his neighbor's fields, the lady took over the mum's business, and the two younger kids were able to stay in school. Now, those of you that have grown up in the developing world probably know that if that money hadn't been forthcoming, then that family would have been split up. The younger kids would have gone to the capital city, so would the, you know, and the, older, the older kids would try to uh, eke out a living at home. Uh, but basically, they would have been split up, and the kids would definitely have been pulled out of school. So you can have impact with life insurance, but it doesn't have the biggest impact. So it's where we started. We realized, though, the clients wanted other kinds of products. We've done some property insurance. Typically, demand is really low for these products, probably because most poor people don't actually own the house that they live in. Um, they rent it, or they just they don't have legal title on it. Interestingly, the demand for kind of political risk coverage, especially in East Africa, is, is increasing significantly. We get a lot of demand for that. And microhousing, which is generally a product which is, so you know, if, you, if your house gets swept away by um, a catastrophe, then we can rebuild it for you. They, they tend to be pretty popular. Um, we've also done a lot of work on, on weather index products. And th these are products which effectively, this is effectively a weather derivative, which is really my background, I guess. These products started because a number of years ago, we, we were in, I was in Malawi, and the farmers told us that they couldn't get loans from banks. They couldn't get the loan from the bank because they didn't have any collateral, and the bank was worried about there being a drought. So they needed an insurance contract that would, that would mitigate that climatic risk. If they could get a loan, they could buy inputs. If they could get inputs, they could increase their yield by 300%. But the trouble was is that traditional insurance was just not really suitable because for the few dollars of premium we were going to get, Going to the guy's field, we were going to spend that money just going to the field to see whether or not he had a good year or a bad year. So we couldn't use traditional insurance products. What we did was, with uh, help with the World Bank, was that we set up um, the world's first weather derivative for the poor. The loans that the, the, these um, derivative products were used to unlock were as small as $100. We saw increases in yields of between 100 to 300%. Today, these products are available in Malawi, but also in Tanzania, Rwanda, India, Philippines, not just for drought, but also for typhoon, and also for um, too much rain, for flooding. I want to show you two of our clients. These two farmers, um, the lady on the left is called Frida, the guy on the right is called Goodlove, and Frida and Goodlove have one acre plots that would easily fit within this room and they're right next door to each other. So it's the same soil, the same rain, absolutely the same conditions. Frida got insurance. She used the insurance to get a loan. She used the loan to buy inputs for her land. Good love didn't. And he is not 10 foot tall, and she's not a midget. They're kind of normal-sized people, right? And they planted their crops at the same time, and this is the kind of effect that um, unlocking credit can have on a rural farmer. The final product that we started doing was, was health insurance. So we started with life insurance. Clients told us more and more what they wanted. And actually, health insurance is what clients want. It's probably not a surprise because you only die once, but you go to the doctor three times a year. So people want a product that they think they're going to use. So our first product was in India. It provides $500 of cover for a family of four. Lots of people say, well, 
what the hell can you fix for 500 bucks? Well, before I came today, I just had a quick look on, you know, who was in hospital in India. And there's a lady there, to, you know, in hospital at the moment. She's been in hospital for a week. She's had an MRI scan, two full body x-rays and an operation to kind of restore. Per, um, she was paralyzed from the neck down. She's, she's going to walk, but it cost, it cost us so far about $223. So you can do a lot with $500. It's provided on a cashless basis. This is really important because the poor people don't have cash flow. So if you're going to do health insurance, don't get them to go to the hospital, pay for it, and then reimburse them. You, should, you have to be able to do this cashless. So give them an ID card, they go to the hospital, provide their ID card, and then they should be able to get service immediately using that ID card. So we run the computer system behind the scenes that identifies that this person is who they say they are, and that the treatment that's being recommended for them is the right treatment at the right price, and we do that real time. The cost of the product is $8 a year. We accept weekly payments. Pre-existing illnesses and maternity is covered from day one, and from two years ago when we started selling it, we're now covering 500,000 people. In Tanzania, we, we wanted to do something similar. We had to build end-to-end. -end. We had to build um, our own insurance company. We had to build our own third-party administrator to handle claims. We had to build our own network of hospitals, although other people run the hospitals. And we started out by working out what people were willing to spend. People told us they were willing to spend $10 per person uh, in their family. And so we built a product around that. And what we ended up with was a product that covered five ailments. It covers malaria, maternity, dysentery, uh, acute respiratory, and pneumonia. They're, they're the five things that cause 80% of hospital treatment in Tanzania. They told us they didn't trust insurers, so we started selling it at the church. We also start selling it at a coffee union on the slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro. And what we found was that this product is actually really uh, popular in Tanzania. In fact, it's too popular. We can't, we can't keep up with demand at the moment. So I'm going to leave you these conclusions. It's been in my experience that Poor people want to mitigate risk. They are price sensitive, but they're much more sensitive to the service standard that they face. Insurance can certainly be cheaper and, and uh, more secure than informal mechanisms that, that are out there. I think, though, the most important conclusion I would come to is that I had a vision. I had something that I wanted to do. I spent some time working in the city, getting experience. And then I took those ideas to a bunch of investors and try to get people to invest in that. And no one believed. No one thought that it, would, it was possible to do it. So I went and did it anyway with $50,000. And it took three or four years of living at or near the breadline to get to the point where someone took it seriously. But that was worth doing because it was an idea that I was convinced, and I'm still convinced, has great impact in the world. And sometimes it's worth putting your money where your mouth is and actually giving it a go. So for me, you know, if you have a dream, if you have something that you want to do and no one else will believe in it, then you know, you've, got to, you've got to look at it rigorously and you've got to ask yourself whether you're just crazy. But if you come up and you say, actually, I'm not crazy and this does have uh, merit, then I would just really encourage you, wherever you end up in your life, to go for it because it's great fun and it's been a good ride. Thank you.